Welcome back to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Kiana Daniels. And I am Bridget Flaherty. And today we interviewed April Angel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm April Angel. I have two wonderful daughters and I am a dream interpreter. And I use that to help people confront their childhood conditioning and traumas in order to step into their best selves, their full selves. And that's work that I really enjoy doing. And it's what I've done for myself. I'm much happier as a result of having experienced transformation on such a deep level. My conversation with April was a very interesting conversation. I learned a lot. I was actually intrigued a lot of times along the conversation. And one of the things that she shared post the interview was that She is in another level of healing currently, and she is working on how to show up and be seen. And so this was her first podcast. And while she's in this place of practicing being seen, she was a little bit challenged in really showing up as her full, authentic self. And there were times where I think I noticed where she was being a little self-critical, but she overcame it, I think, eventually and was able to show up and just be who she is naturally, who she's comfortable with, who she's confident in. And so it was a great conversation, and it was actually pretty interesting to watch her navigate through that. I think it's never easy to quote unquote, get on stage, to stand in front of a camera, to stand in front of a microphone. It's not easy. Even for people that go to theater school, they will talk about the jitters before getting on stage. It's a whole nother level to do that and to share personally about your life and your experience. It's never easy. So I can completely resonate and understand her pushing herself to do that. And I appreciate that she pushed herself to do that, but also the knowing that that is a challenge. It is a challenge to be authentic and honest and open and to be seen and to do so in a very public way. Absolutely. I struggle with that from time to time with public speaking. I mean, I have to do it literally all the time and people think I'm great at it. And I know I'm pretty great at it, but it's not without the jitters, right? It's not without the nerves or anything like that. So I totally understand where April is coming from. So the natural evolution of that, though, was that she was initially nervous. She was being challenged throughout the conversation. But then she was able to find this groove where she was like in herself, fully in herself and comfortable. And that is an experience that I've experienced, too, in speaking. Like you get nervous at first and like, oh, my gosh, people are listening to me. They're judging me, whatever, whatever. And then you're like, but I know what I'm talking about. And I believe what I'm talking about. And so then you get into this space of comfortability and confidence and and you just kind of like you're there. Right. And so I think that I witnessed April get into that mode. So it was an honor for her to really challenge herself and understand that it was a challenge, but then to just surrender to that process and to just show up fully. So when I asked April about her healing journey and what healing meant to her, she 
considers healing to be a return to who you are on the deepest soul level? I consider healing a return to who you are on the deepest, I'm going to say soul level, because I believe that we are a soul with a body. So it's returning to who you are as a soul and expressing that and removing the layers of conditioning and coping mechanism that we have picked up in life in order to stay safe from the harm that we were experiencing in earlier years. And the harm could happen in so many different ways we're unaware of. It's increasing our awareness of who we are so that we can express ourselves freely and fully. So I really liked her definition, and I know that it is specific to her experience, like all of our definitions are, but that part about getting back to the deepest soul level of who we are. I thought it was so interesting to hear her say that because journeying back, whereas a lot of times we talk about the healing journey as in we're trying to elevate, ascend, or get to another level, but what she did was bridge the gap between the journeying back to our very deepest soul level of who we were when we were born, before we were corrupted, and ascending to our highest self. Those two things are one and the same. You know what I love about that definition is that it opens the possibility that every single one of us deserves to be in the healing process, that it doesn't require a terrible experience or trauma to be triggers for healing. But the truth is that from the time that we are very young, we are being conditioned or quote unquote programmed into a role. We are given an assigned name and a gender and we're put in certain clothes and we're sent to school and taught certain things. We're given language. We're given an identity. All of these things are handed to us. And the healing journey is dismantling and differentiating who we are from what we have been told we are. And so I love that definition because it's expansive and inclusive and says that all of us, every single one of us, deserves the intention of healing towards ourselves. I like it. Yeah, I liked it too. I was just like, huh, I really resonate with that and hadn't thought about it necessarily like that. But I am open to that definition and that concept because it does seem like it is expansive and inclusive at the same time. And so that's the best part for me. Anytime that we interview our guests, it's just like hearing their definitions of what healing is to them, because it definitely takes many forms based on what our needs are and what our experiences have been. I think another thing it points to is that healing, we all kind of know what it is. When you're on the healing journey, you know, right? And when someone else is talking about, you know, but it often eludes words. And so as each person puts different words to it, and we all say, that is how it feels, it's because healing is in many ways wordless. And when you're in it, you know you're in it. Putting words to it can be difficult. I appreciate April's words. That makes me think maybe something that we could try just based on all of the definitions of what healing is. We should create a word bubble because I bet if we create a word bubble based on what people see it as for them, it will take the form of many things. And this notion that it is wordless, it will become wordful. <laughs> But like, again, going back to the expensive yet inclusive, because sometimes people run away from the healing journey because they don't know what to expect, right? They don't want to be thrown into this abyss. And so if we have certain words, like say, healing is walking, healing is being in nature, 
people can see that and be like, oh, I'm capable of walking. I'm capable of being in nature. I can do this. Maybe that could be an encouraging thing for people who are afraid of the healing journey or who continue to run to say, hey, you know what? Healing actually isn't this thing that you're not capable of doing. You're very capable and it takes all of these forms and it can look like this and it can look like that. Whatever it is that you need, it'll look like. I like that. Yeah, we can talk more about that. (laughs) So April shared how she knew she needed to heal. And it was when she noticed she had severe anxiety and depression. I was experiencing now, I know it was a dark night of the soul when I had my spiritual awakening. I was at the bottom of a barrel and I didn't know that I had anxiety. If I'd known I had anxiety, I probably would have been to the doctor to get Xanax or something. So I was just suffering with anxiety and probably drinking at night, definitely drinking at night in order to cope with it. And it wasn't like excessive drinking, but like that was how I dealt with anxiety. And I do realize that that was a symptom of me being unhappy. I did. I just felt really unhappy. Like I had this beautiful, vibrant three-year-old, four-year-old daughter. And I was sad that I didn't enjoy her at the level that she deserved to be enjoyed. She was hopeless and was at a place in her life where she didn't know the meaning of life. And so she talked about kind of different experiences that really let her know that she needed to change. So one particular experience was when her friend from California came to visit her and her daughter at the time back in 2012. I was really depressed. I was a single mother of one child at the time, and I was just having existential dread folding laundry. I was miserable and pretending not to be and struggling with life. And there was one evening that I had a friend come and visit from San Francisco, and he was talking about some psychedelic experiences that he had had. And he sounded like a crazy person. I will preface all of this by saying that I was agnostic at the time. I had grown up Christian and I had fallen away from that. And so I just didn't believe in anything, hence the existential dread. But he was like, yeah, we were talking to aliens and everyone there met this blue alien or whatever. And it was crazy talk. But he was happy. And I was super interested in just hanging out with someone that was so happy. And I realized that my three-year-old daughter was happy. He was happy. What were they doing that I wasn't doing? And it was, they were just open-minded. They believed in ridiculous stuff. And I was pretty certain that we just become bones in the ground when we die. And that was depressing to me. (laughs) I learned that I need life to be meaningful. And so I have been on a journey of meaningfulness and truth, I guess. I have a similar experience to seeing joy in others and recognizing the disparity between what I was feeling and others were feeling. So I actually went to the Yellow Springs Street Festival, and I think this was in 2015. And there was a group at the end of the street, and they were singing and dancing and beating on drums, and everyone was so happy. And I remember just sitting down and watching these people and thinking, I don't know why they are so happy and dancing and having a great time, but I want it because I was so unhappy. I was very depressed at the time, not really in touch with why, just very unhappy over in the corner of all these people dancing and singing and people standing up and giving testimony. There was a guy in the corner who had a sign that said free hugs. And I remember thinking, I don't remember the last time someone gave me a hug. So whenever I got this hug and it felt so wonderful, like 
truly loving. And I sat down and watched these people. And this voice came into my head and said, you are too old. You will never have what they have. And I went home and I just lied in bed and looked at the ceiling because I was so miserable. That disparity between April saying watching her three-year-old or watching her friend from California with joy and recognizing that you don't have that is a powerful catalyst. And the truth is all of us can have that. All of us can have that joy. When we take the healing journey, that's the gift that we get. But often in those depths and in depression, it doesn't feel that way. It feels hopeless. Yeah. And you said something that I I believe that April said yesterday. She talked about healing being a gift also. And it really is because the lens that you're looking out of now versus when you start the healing journey, right? It's like the lens that you're looking out now looks very dirty, right? And so that's why we start to feel like we're unhappy. We don't have joy. We super self-critical and saying all these negative things to ourselves. But then the healing journey really clears the lens, right? You can see clearer now. You can see beyond what's right in front of you and you have a different perspective of life. And I think that that is one of the best things about the healing journey for me is that perspective matters. It taught me that perspective matters. Things happen to us, right? Traumatic things happen to us, things to teach us lessons. And we have a choice. When we're younger, right? When we're children, it's a lot different. We're not yet developed enough to understand that we have choice in the matter. Because a lot of times we don't. We don't know what we're doing. We're not there yet. But when we become adults, we have a choice to look at things that occur to say, okay, now that almost broke me. Now what do I do with this information? Do I let it define me? Do I let it defeat me? Or do I... Use it as a stepping stone to help the next person like a lot of the people who come on our show do. They turn their traumas into triumph and they pay it forward to help the next person. Do I use this as a baseline to say, hey, this is like at this pain level, I can't experience anything else under that. So I know that this is kind of like when I start to feel this, this is when I need to do something different. I need to shift a behavior or pick up a new practice. I love that perspective changes us because of the healing journey. And I believe that's what happened with April and a lot of the guests that we talked to. The healing journey definitely starts to shift who we are so that we can see things a little bit differently, a lot differently, actually. And that's what happened with April. As I mentioned before, she mentioned that she is currently in a deep healing cycle right now and how she's continuing to peel back layers. And it's been both challenging and insightful at the same time, as we both know. Can you tell us a little bit about, because we've touched on it a little bit, what does your healing even look like? What does it consist of? Actually doing some healing right now, because like I said, I think that the issues come off layer by layer. The very first thing that I had to peel off was the idea of, well, not feeling my feelings and not feeling special, because that's the experience that I had in childhood. I didn't feel special. So that was the first layer that I peeled off and I did it. It's a process called cutting the ties that bind and you have to go deep into your subconscious and speak the language that your subconscious understands, not your conscious mind, but your subconscious. So it's it's a lot of visualization to give that wound back to the parent because really they were just passing their wound down to you. So it's like giving it to them 
And as a mother, I know that I would love for my daughter to give any of the wounds that I put on her, my wounds on her. I would love her to hand it just all back to me for me to deal with on my own and free herself from that. So, but that's what that healing does. How the wounds that her mother passed to her was then passed to her daughter and how she desperately hopes that her daughter will be able to give those wounds back to her that she may be passed down. I can completely relate with all of that. So the mother wound, the wound that we receive as women from our mothers, from from generation of woundedness before us is an extremely powerful uh, wound and and powerful to acknowledge it. You know, there's actually science behind trauma in the womb and how if a mother is experiencing trauma, her baby will get the chemicals, the the brain, the chemicals that our body produces when we're in trauma, the baby experiences, which creates trauma for the baby. And that that is a real true thing. And that can affect our lives. There's also this relationship with our mothers that mothers with unhealed wounds recreate those wounds. And they can take the form of of jealousy. They can take the form of Here's a really common one that I actually gave to my daughter. I, throughout her life, would complain about the way that I looked. I was not attacking her. I was not telling her to shame her body. But I was handing her shame by shaming myself. So when she would hear me say I looked fat or I felt fat or I felt ugly or I, whatever it looked like, when I was saying those things, I was handing her shame. And that that's what it looks like and it looks like that in many forms indirect and direct um and and once we as women start healing those wounds when when i start showing up for with love for my body i give permission for my daughter to do the same i give permission for my mother to do the same so just in the same way that we pass on woundedness, we can pass on healing. And that, that, that gives me hope. Because the truth of it is if I only focus on the woundedness that I received and the woundedness that I gave, that's where despair lives. Now, it's important that I acknowledge it. It's important that I allow my daughter to look at me and say, you did this and it hurt like hell. And for me to say, I'm sorry. Because that's critical to healing. But if I only sit in, in woundedness, it's going to be despair. I have to take responsibility. And I also have to acknowledge where I am. I think it's powerful, too, what April was talking about, handing it back. Early in my healing, I learned this phrase. I was given this tool, and it is, that is not my shame. And saying that, to someone who is actively trying to shame you or saying to that to someone who shamed you in the past is so incredibly powerful. When someone says, you are a failure, and my response is, that's not my shame. It isn't even necessarily blame. I'm not saying to someone, you're a failure. Like, I'm not saying, shut up, you're an idiot. I'm not. I'm just blocking it. I'm not accepting that. That's not my shame. And that's an incredible. It's it's necessary. It is necessary to recognize that those word curses, that that shame that was handed to us is not ours. Because as soon as we start to distance ourselves from that, it creates space for us to create a new narrative. 
Absolutely. You know, my actually, my brother and I had an unplanned conversation yesterday, and it was really amazing. Um, I was able to connect with my brother on a very different level that I've never connected with him before and hear him in a way that I've never understood him before as to why he shows up the way that he shows up in our relationship, our different relationships with our mother. One of the things that I shared with him was that in as a result of my own healing is that my brother, sister and I experienced my mother at various versions of herself. He's the oldest child, so she was figuring it out. She didn't know what she was doing. So he got a very different version of her parenting, too, before I was born uh, almost three years later. My sister then got my mother in a different parenting style and at a different version of her life four years later. And so our exp- we, we were all living under the same roof with the same woman, <laughs> But we had her at different times and our relationships are very different. So things that when we get back to this passing of wounds and generational curses, our traumas with our mom is very different. And so one of the things that I had to challenge myself to do yesterday and having a conversation with my brother as he was expressing himself in his relationship with our mother is that our experiences are different. I cannot broad stroke my experience because it is not his experience. And there are some shared themes across that because she is the same person in all of those relationships. However, you know, it is super imperative to look at how that relationship impacted you based on unhealed things within her, you know, and uh, certain traumas that she had that, again, you know, these habits that were continued to perpetuate and she taught us. These were learned behaviors. And so it was really great for us to have that conversation because one of the things that I was able to share with my brother in, in, in the things that I've learned in my healing is grace, having grace, right? You know, is understanding like, yeah, she she might have passed this this wound or this trauma down to me because she didn't have the tools to heal herself. But at some point, because we're in a, we are adults, we have to stop expecting our parents to be what they can't be. Whether, whether it's because they are not ready or because they haven't found the tools, whatever the case may be, because if we're continuing to expect something different out of the same person who is, they're being consistent we are the ones that are over here shifting and changing, but we're still expecting something different. That's the that's the definition of insanity. So I shared with him like, hey, stop so that you don't keep getting frustrated about how she's triggering you. You must first look at her in a different light as a human being and not just your mom where she can make no mistakes. She makes mistakes. And I don't and all of them were not on purpose. They were not all conscious mistakes. These were wounds that were passed down to her that she then passed down to us. And now in our healing, we have to learn to forgive, to have grace and to also give the time and the space for them to get to that place of healing. They're not always going to be ready. And so it was such a powerful, really good bonding experience for my brother and I, actually, to be able to have that conversation about our mom. And so, you know, it it, it really is very interesting, that cycle, those wounds and those traumas that are passed down. And until we are uh, in a place of acknowledgement, we can't really shift and change. But when we when we are, we can, and but we, but we have to be patient. <laughs> we have to have grace and we have to be able to your point, say, hey, that's not my stuff. 
And even if it is my stuff because it was passed down to me, I'm choosing to change the narrative. I'm choosing to have different habits so that it stops at me. And that is my personal goal, as you know, is to break those generational curses so that I don't pass those down to my future children. And not that some won't even probably seep through the cracks, right? You know, but then having the understanding that my child can say, hey, mom, that ain't mine. It doesn't belong to me. That was your stuff. And it's impacting me this way. And I need you to be cognizant of what you're dealing with me, not to continue to give me your wounds. And I want to be able to be in a place to be open enough to receive that from my future child or anybody. It doesn't even have to be my child. It could be a friend. It could be a partner. It could be whatever, because I don't think we just pass our wounds down to our children. We pass it on to other people. We And that's called projection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, right? That's projection. Absolutely. In order to find forgiveness for our mothers, for our parents, you first have to have the separation, right? As children, we internalize. So first you have to externalize, which is to identify that the internal acceptance of that shame is not ours, right? So in April, talking about the process of giving that back. That's really the first step. The first step is, it was not mine, and I'm not going to hold it anymore. It's yours. And that doesn't have to be physically calling that person on the phone and being like, that's not my shame, right? It's an internal decision to make that no longer mine, and I'm not going to hold that bag anymore, and I'm going to give that bag energetically back to the person who gave it to me. That has to happen first. But then once you have externalized that and you started to heal the wounds that it caused, the next step is to identify that that bag was handed to that person too, that they did not intentionally give you that bag. They didn't say, I am going to harm my child. That was never the intention. Someone gave them that bag. They did not externalize it. They internalized it. So then they gave it to you, right? So that forgiveness requires first doing the healing so that you can genuinely identify that the harm, the hurt, the woundedness was not on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, takes, it takes a lot of that internal, that introspection, because um, we oftentimes feel that it's personal. It's not personal. If, 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 if we can get out of our own vain mindsets, a lot of what people do to us and what happens to us is not personal at all. It is learned behavior. In April's current healing, it is making her sit with the things that she has passed on in ways that she is still not fully loving herself. I just decided to open my mind and decide I didn't know everything. And I learned about dream interpretation through that. And I was like, oh my gosh, dreams can tell you about yourself. It's like getting a psychic reading every single night, which I was interested in because I was opening my mind and like, Psychics are real now. Okay. So I couldn't find anything particularly good in dream interpretation. Everything kind of fizzled out. And then in 2015, I Googled a dream symbol and I came across the teacher who would really be pivotal in the transformation that I experienced. I had a huge aha moment when I discovered that level of dream interpretation and it was exactly everything that was about me. So I began learning, long story short, about like my limits and blocks and the things that I was doing in life that were limiting me. So for example, I wasn't feeling my feelings. 
he interpreted a dream for me. And I said, well, how do you know I'm not feeling my feelings? I feel angry. I get depressed. I definitely have anxiety. Like, what do you mean not feel my feelings? He's like, you just don't feel your feelings. So then I had to go on a journey of what does it mean to open your heart and feel your feelings? And I remember when I began healing those things. Well, the reason I, I had to figure out why don't I feel my feelings? Because in childhood, I would get threatened when I would cry. Don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. So that's just a small example of the kind of like ways that you learn how to shut yourself down. And it's all a coping mechanism. So I had developed that coping mechanism. So I had to open myself back up to feeling my feelings. And I remember the first time I really embraced it in public, I was in Build-A-Bear with my kids. Like it was a birthday party and it was full. It was around Christmas time. And there was, I did something and I was swinging my arm behind me and there was a little toddler right behind me and I whacked her right in the face and I turned around so fast and I bent down to her level and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And her dad was right there and I knew he would take care of it. And I just had to stand up and I knew right then I wanted to run away because I was mortified and I felt so bad for her. And I started noticing that I wanted to talk myself out of being sad. Like, she's fine. He's got her. She'll get over this. It's only a moment of pain. But then I decided to really feel how I felt. And I just wept in the back of Build-A-Bear. Like, really opening up to feeling life, like, moment by moment. That has been part of my journey. And once I began correcting and discovering all the coping mechanisms that I had accrued throughout life, it has been a process, really, for the last six years, like, layer by layer unpeeling those things from myself and just really diving deep because you have to confront. I have had to confront all the buried feelings that were trapped inside all those years. So using my dreams to find out what it is that I'm believing about myself that isn't true and isn't the ideal, it's been pretty, pretty incredible. And because it has been so incredible to me, I want to share that opportunity with other people so that they can experience their own transformation. And I find that being in integrity really matters a lot. So like I like to share my story and I like to share the story, but I definitely experienced a lot of childhood neglect and abuse and but also healed it. What I've seen in dreams, and I'm I'm not trying to sell dream interpretation as like I, I kind of am. It's really amazing to interpret your dreams. Like dreams will tell you like the wounds that you experienced while you were in the womb because we're fully open and aware in the womb. And so I, for example, know that my daughter has a wound where she feels like she couldn't bond with me based on her birth. And I loved her when she was born. And and but, you know, the way that society is right now, this is me going on a tangent, but the way society is designed, like the baby comes out, a doctor takes it away, cleans it up. Babies really need that first 20 minutes on their mother, con- making that connection and that bond right away. And that's what she didn't get. And because of that, uh, the dream shows that she didn't feel like she could bond with me when she was born. And I was like, I was totally open for the bond. And she didn't have to get taken away to the NICU or anything like that. So it's just interesting the way that we get wounded in life and the things that we need to heal can happen from things that are so early on in our life. And my mother got pregnant when she was 17 and or 18. And I was an unwanted pregnancy. And that is something so deep. You can't do talk therapy for that. You have to go into your subconscious and energetically heal. And I've done a lot of I've worked with energetic healers. I've taken ayahuasca. I have 
done the cutting the ties that bind process with several very influential family members that maybe impacted me negatively in certain ways, wonderfully in other ways. And it's just incredible to go so deep into your experience and understand how wounding can happen and how it feels like it's just who we are and it's really not and just unwinding all of that. My ultimate goal is to be in a place where I am giving grace to everyone all the time. Like I want to literally love everybody all the time. And I don't. And I think maybe that's probably the comedy in it as well, because it's maybe you don't have to. But that's my goal. That's what I'm working towards. And I've come a long way. That is where the dream interpretation really comes in for her, because she uses it to help her to understand her current time setbacks and where it stems from. And so during the conversation with April, I actually found myself very interested in dream interpretation based on the way that she was explaining it in that dreams are here to tell us about our subconscious, things that are already within us, right? Or connected to a former or previous version of ourselves. We start off in our spiritual energetic beings. And it doesn't always make sense to us in the current space that we're in because we're so in the tangible, right? But her dreams are really helping her to understand certain feelings that are coming up for her or certain behaviors that she is displaying. And I found myself being really drawn to learn more about dream interpretation and seeing how maybe that might be a modality that I even look into while I'm on my healing journey, as it has helped April in her healing um, in, in, in what she shared. There's actually brain science around dreams as well, and the truth that it is often our subconscious mind. The statistics on how long you actually dream and how long it feels are always super interesting to me, right? There is science around how it can reveal what's going on. Our dreams can reveal what's going on in our emotional and subconscious worlds that we are not aware of during the day. So I think that's incredibly powerful that there is a history behind dream interpretation, but there's also like scientific discovery around dream interpretation. So I am also interested yeah. And uh, and she she said that, you know, very simply put, that the purpose of dream interpretation is is for us to have a connection to our higher self. What I understand dreams, the purpose of dreams is it's our connection to our higher self. So every night we plan our lives before we're born. We choose what we want to, you know, the mission before we're born. And our higher self is fully aware of that. So would we come into the body uh, we go from, usually we're going from a very, very high vibration. We're fully aware of everyone and everything, and we're still connected to the all. And then we we shrink down into the womb and we feel very disconnected. That in and, of, in and of itself can be a trauma, just like feeling like you've lost connection. We volunteer to do it, but it's still, we basically volunteer to have amnesia. So that in and of itself is really impactful uh, and and traumatic. But then you get into the the body of your mother and anything that she's experiencing, you experience. And she's the only, she is God while you're in the womb because she's the only thing that you know for all those eight months. So if she's stressed, if she's unhappy that you're there, if she doesn't, if she's being neglected by her partner, if she doesn't have one, we start developing our ideas of 
masculine and feminine energy even from there. And we're wide open until we're about three years old. And then we have developed a lot of the conditioning that we will have by that age. And then by seven, oh, it's all set. It's all set and good. That's when you see those little sweet, happy kids start turning into getting their little attitudes and stuff because they're they're just, they're indoctrinated now. So uh, the 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 dreams are your higher self reminding you of the things that you wanted to experience and overcome while you're here and uh, your relationship to the masculine and feminine energy because we're all a balance of both and we can be out of balance. <laughs> um, most of us are in some way. And dreams are always giving us the opportunity to embrace healing in that state and then also to be more aware of the ways that we're limiting ourselves. And that's what's beautiful about being able to come back and interpret your dream, be like, oh, crap, I thought I was doing better. It's Basically, I, I joke that it's telling you all the things that you're doing wrong. Doesn't sound very nice, but that's just the way I joke about it. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Um, so dreams. I don't have dreams every night. Um and I don't I don't know if every if that's if people do have dreams every night or not. But so we have good dreams. We have bad dreams. And then we have just these weird otherworldly <laughs> dreams. Um, what is the first step in making sense of our dreams? Is that something that we have to do with a, a professional a dream interpreter or is that something that we can kind of meditate and pray on um, whatever you know works for the person um what you know if somebody is interested you know after listening to this episode of the podcast in dream interpretation and better under understanding themselves and um how to really maximize their healing journey you know what are what are the steps I do believe that some people do have the gift to be able to interpret dreams intuitively. Dreams will also show us what our spiritual gifts are. Dream interpretation is one of those gifts. Um, so I do believe that people can just intuitively like tap in and be like, oh, what's that about? But uh, if someone wanted, I definitely needed this. I have the gift, but I also needed a teacher and a starting point. I went to uh Anyone listening can go to dream-analysis.com. It's not my website. It's the website of my teacher. And he has a free downloadable dictionary there. And that's just the starting point for if you want to deep dive in your in, and do it yourself. I'm not uh, necessarily trying to sell my own services, but I encourage everyone. I, I like to empower people. So if this is something that anyone wants to explore, I fully say go for it. And it's it's been wonderful for me. But there's also uh, dream interpreters that come from the school that I, I teach at it now uh, that that are able to help if someone just wants to sit back and have someone else do the interpreting for them. But yeah, anyone can intuitively, you, you, you kind of have a sense of what's going on in the dream. But we look at it, there's four general rules. And the first rule is everything in the dream is you. And that's kind of hard for people to accept. And then the second rule is that dream is always linked to show cause and effect. So uh, if a dream is warning you about cancer in your future and dreams do warn about health issues, uh, it'll link it to the childhood trauma or experience, the way that we're limiting ourselves that's creating this block in our energy that's going to manifest as illness eventually. And there's like two other rules, but there's there's a lot to it. And it's really wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. A person, say a person is um, a person of faith. And how does that work? So I'll just use myself as an example. I'm a person of faith. I am a Christian I usually call myself more of a Christ follower than a Christian because I really try to embody Christ. But um, 
you know, in terms of like, you know, what is what the Bible says and things like, you know, dream interpretation. How do, how would you n- help someone of faith navigate if they were interested in such a practice? Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I would remind them that dream interpretation is in the Bible. So that's one thing. And that dreams will only comment on the things that we're doing that are out of balance. So if someone has black and white thinking based on religion, for example, then then the dream would just be like, just open your mind a little bit, or it's not all this way or that way. How would I help a person of faith? I have a friend. She's she's definitely Christian, and she does not agree with um, the idea that I can get information uh, through an intuitive or channeling connection because I don't say that I believe in Jesus as the same way that she does. I believe in Jesus, but not in the same way that she does. And... Uh, it's you can still get a lot of value from dreams because it's not I'm you know I'm explaining it from my vantage point but you don't have to believe in the higher self and all that you can say oh god is sending me this dream it, it doesn't have to be any certain uh the belief doesn't matter it's what the dream is telling you about yourself and they're really just telling you how you're limiting yourself or holding yourself back or what you need to embrace more of or you know open your heart stop being so intellectual stuff like that Right. It's, it is being really in tune and tapped in in, an, in alignment with all of the versions of ourselves. So, you know, from the going back to like the mind, body, spirit and how things are showing up in our lives. And so I think it's a really great um, way to 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 or something to add to your healing journey, if that's something that you're interested in, which I'm going to do a little bit more research on and see if I can get into it. I had a reoccurring dream when I was a child that I had almost every night. And so they say that I have heard that reoccurring dreams often can be a signal of something, some stressor in your life. And the reoccurring dream that I had was that um, I was in a car and a kidnapper was driving and I was sitting in the passenger side seat and my siblings were in the back seat. And somehow in the dream over and over again, I would get the kidnapper out of the car, but then I had to drive. So I was driving the car and I was a kid. So in my in my dream, it was super scary to be driving the car. And um, and it was scary because my siblings were in the backseat. Now, I have been told that driving a car is a symbol for being in control of your life. So basically being afraid of driving the car meant that I was afraid of being in control. Uh, and that, you know, my siblings being in the backseat represented some sort of responsibility I felt for them. But it was this fear of driving, being in control of my whole my own life. So I I, I am sure that if that April would have a whole lot more to say about that <laughs> reoccurring dream. But those are some things that I've learned about it. Um, I find it really fascinating because as a child, I probably didn't have an a, a outlet for that. So it showed up in dreams. Mm, that's really good, Bridget. I and and I shared, I think, with April uh, this recurring dream that I also had as a. I think I was. I don't know when it started. I remember having it in high school though, and and, and it kind of stopped at high school. But there was this dream where I was always running. I was always running away from this like large boulder. Uh, put yourself in a mindset of like Indiana Jones kind of deal and I'm like what is this boulder and I'm just running and running trying not to get run over and then there was no more road 
and it wasn't a road. It was literally in a cave, and 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 then there was nothing else. So I, I like I, I was free falling, and I just I remember I would be falling, and I'm like screaming, and and I was so connected to this dream. Oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes I would wake up literally crying, like my eyes would be wet because I was so afraid because I was just falling. I'm just thinking I'm falling to my death, but I would never. I would wake up, and. I always remember when I would have that dream, like, what in the hell? What does this mean? You know, and I never really looked it up. But now that I'm remembering, I will look that up because it, I don't, it, it happened for most of high school. And I would have it almost every night. Some nights I wouldn't. And I don't know, of course, at this point, because that's years ago of like, what would be the difference? Um, but that is something that it was just very interesting. So. Dream interpretation, definitely going to look into it. And it has helped her on her healing journey to give her the answers that she needs in her present day life and how it's connected to various versions of herself um, into her higher self. And so I think it's something that has been positive for her. So in wrapping up our conversation with April, I asked her about the lessons that she's learned on her journey. I think that the most important thing is being willing to realize that change is possible. A lot of the people that I've worked with and that I've seen, it's taken so much work for them to acknowledge that they really are the masters of their own universe and that they can stand at the ship and steer it where they want it to go. Instead of life happening to them, they can decide that they are not a victim and that they stepping into the power, realizing that it doesn't have to be this way. I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people is realizing that they do have a choice in the way their life falls forward and embracing the fact that just changing that and doing the hard thing, like some healing is hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. And sometimes stepping into your own power can be scary for some reason, but realizing that it's very possible and that you always have a choice. Yeah, I agree with that. Stepping into your own power is scary. It's absolutely necessary because I, I, I believe that we're all here for a reason. and. The moment that we surrender to that, I think it becomes a little bit easier. If you feel like that's not true, why do you feel that that's not true? Why wouldn't that be true for you? Why is that true for somebody else and not you? It was such an honor to talk with April and to hear her story and for her to share with us. I learned a lot and I'm going to go do some research. And that's always the best part about some of our guests. They just teach us a lot. We may be creating this safe space for women to share. We may be even sharing our experiences, which is teaching them. But it's always great to have that reciprocated. And so, April, we really appreciate you and we thank you for being a guest on our show. And we want to also thank Larry Merkel for being our sponsor for this episode. We are very grateful to you. This is Tears, Ties and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Kiana Daniels. And I am Bridget Flaherty. Thanks for being here with us. I see new tides carry on through the years, transform through the tears, the audacity of you going through it all, the audacity of you trusting self all along. I see you lie.
see